G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. An update today on the reforms of an ancient practice in India where young girls are dedicated to a temple goddess and trapped in a life of ritualised sexual abuse. They suffer from HIV, AIDS, alcohol and substance abuse, poverty, depression and marginalisation at every level. These girls are known as Jogini girls who come from the lowest caste in India, the Dalit people, who were previously known as the Untouchables. Well, Kate is the CEO of the Dignity Freedom Network. Uh, Joining us for an update on their good work. Kate, welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me on the show again. Kate, how did you fare through the last couple of years? And I know it's not all over. We might feel like things have softened a little bit here, the COVID crisis and how you've dealt with things and the mission that you have into India. Oh, it, it's just been the most, in- well, for everybody, I speak for everybody, I think, on the face of the planet, to say it's been the most extraordinary couple of years. But certainly we've seen a lot of things happening in India and the work has just uh, evolved as as the needs have increased. So increase of unemployment leads to increase in domestic abuse, increase of trafficking. You can't feed the mouths around the table, so let's get rid of the girls. We'll put them into child-wide marriages. We'll dedicate them to the temple goddess. Uh, Whoever will take them off our hands, that sounds great, so we can try and stretch the little bit of resources that we have. So all of the issues that we're facing in India have just increased through the last 18 months to to two years. Now, the Jogini girls, as I understand it from our past conversations, uh, it is actually outlawed in India, but the practice continues throughout villages across such a vast nation. That's correct. It was made illegal in uh, March 1988, which is absolutely brilliant, and I applaud the Indian government for for that step. Uh, But just because it's illegal on paper, obviously it means that it doesn't trickle down into practice in the villages. And just like there's many things that are illegal here that still continue, it still continues, particularly in remote villages and particularly in areas where there's high illiteracy. Kate, how do these girls get free from this ritualised abuse? Give us, in a nutshell, how the process works if you're going to get one of these girls free from this abuse that they're under, uh, you know, as temple prostitutes. So we actually work with nationals on the ground and, and the team on the ground who are actually spearheading this whole program are actually women who have come out of the practice themselves. And so we connect with them just one-on-one. We talk with them. We explain the practice is illegal. We connect them with our health care. We do HIV and AIDS testing. We love these girls. We pray with them. And we just empower them and encourage them. And it's quite a journey that they come on because it's a very ritualized system um, of abuse and they're absolutely 
destroyed inside and so it's just a gentle leading them through this process and then as they come out of the practice and as they realize that everything has just been such a lie they then are the ones who we empower and train up and they become our village leaders and they're the ones who go back into their village and first of all they connect with other Joganese and help them understand that they don't have to say yes to these men and that they can come out but most importantly they also here are uh, upcoming dedications and they work with the families to stop the dedication in the first place and prevent these little girls having their lives destroyed. How old are these girls when they are introduced to this life of really what you'd call sexual slavery? How old are they? Uh, they can be as young as five or six when the dedications happen, but the abuse doesn't start until after they hit puberty. So it varies from girl to girl, but just sort of the time of puberty and after is when it starts. And there's all sorts of rituals involved in this, and I wonder whether we can just touch on things like this, because uh, you mentioned uh, wedding ceremonies uh, in a temple and not the sort of ordinary wedding ceremony that we think of here in Australia. No bridegroom in that, but marrying a goddess. How does that work? So these are little Dalit girls. So they've basically been born knowing that they're a disappointment to their family because they were born a girl. And these families, these very, very impoverished families, what they really, really want is boys who will grow up and somehow provide for the family. So from a very, very early age, little Dalit girls know that they have no value or worth. But when these girls get identified to be dedicated, all of a sudden they've got no idea what this means because they're put in the focus of the village. There's a great big ceremony that happens. They get beautiful dresses put on them, flowers put in their hair. And for the first time in their life, they're made to feel like there's something special. And of course, we all know being made in God's image, we do have inherent value and worth. So it's something we innately crave. Um, but they've got no idea of the horrors that are, are before them and uh, it becomes apparent all too soon. And so they're introduced into what we'd call temple prostitution and then they remain uneducated. Uh, many of them are illiterate. And so when someone from your team comes along and introduces them to a new direction and a new hope, a new opportunity, that must be life-changing. Well, often they're very scared because they've been abused by so many people. They're abused within their village you know, men know uh, men use and abuse them and women know that their husbands are sleeping with them and so they really have a, a real lack of trust. And so, as I said before, it's a real journey of connecting with them, building trust, just befriending them is really the first step, just treating them like they do have value and worth. And then as you build that respect, you can start to help them with different things, whether it's to do with health care or whether it's to do with, you know, family issues. And as you start to help them in practical ways, that's when they start to share their stories with our team. Give us an idea of the extent of the challenge here, because as I understand it, there are thousands of villages where this practice continues on. And uh, your teams are out and about. You're sort of into the hundreds of villages, but... Thousands of villages means that there's a really big shortfall and lots more work to do. That's correct, Neil. So we've put a survey in the field and we don't know that it's exactly correct, partly because there is a lot of illiteracy and partly because we know that the ones who know that it's illegal won't necessarily uh, tell us the truth anyway. Um, but from our estimation, the practice occurs in around 3,000 villages. 
We've been operational now in over 250 villages, which is brilliant. And the villages that we've been working in for the last decade, we are seeing the practice come to an end. We're seeing women coming out of the practice, but we're also seeing the dedications coming to a stop. But as you say, 250 villages sounds absolutely fantastic, but it means there's still thousands of villages where we still don't have a presence. Now, you've had community health workers also out in the field, uh, but there's been a bit of a development and COVID might have a bit of a silver lining here because you've become very accustomed to using telehealth and that is creating bigger opportunities. That's correct. And so because we have community health workers in many, many villages across this area, they already speak the local language. They already have the trust of the village. And so when COVID hit, they were able to respond quickly. And people have been so generous in supporting our work, which is great. And when COVID first hit, we actually saw a number of our Jogany women die because they're health compromised and because, you know, they're the poorest of the poor anyway. But when the second wave hit last year and because we sent out a great big, you know, please can you help and and you let me share on on Vision, invited me to share and people gave, uh, we were able to really support the Jogany women through the second wave. We increased their nutritional supplements. We gave them uh, immediate health care and so on. And one of the most amazing things is not one of our Jogany women died at all in the incredible second wave that India experienced in May and June last year. So a huge thanks to everybody who's been supporting this work. Well, there may be listeners right now listening in thinking, I could really get involved and make a difference in the lives of these Jogany girls, getting them free from this dreadful cultural ritualistic abuse. And so far as... uh, whether you've got a a budget to work on or is there a goal for any immediate campaigns that you're running. I know that uh, you have significant expenses because in getting some of these girls free, you're actually using lawyers and uh, there are people who you've got appointed as Jogini Village leaders. What sort of dollars do you need to keep everything afloat and to keep going into the next level? So to remain operational in one village for one year, costs $1,800. And so every time, we've got people who say, I'll support a village for a year. We've got other people who say, our Bible study group, our life group will support a village for a year and together they do whatever they can to raise the $1,800. But during March and April, we have a special campaign. It kind of kicks off around International Women's Day, which was celebrated recently, where for every $250 raised during March and April, we can support one of these community village leaders in their village for a year, connecting with these Jogany women and preventing dedication. So as I said, uh, you know, we're in 250 villages. We'd love to be in lots more. The thing that's preventing us is lack of finances. So for every $250 raised, so some people have sourdough cooking classes or Indian food cooking classes. Other people have clothes swaps or movie nights. Some people say, look, here's $1,000 and that will cover for Jogany Village Leaders for a year. And other people say, well, I'm going to put a jar out, you know, at my uh, ladies' group each week and people will put coins in and we'll send that in at the end of the term. So it's whatever people feel like they can do and partner with us. is, is You know, every do- donation that comes in, we're so grateful for and really appreciate the connections. Well, Kate, a special honour to you for the good work you do and the way that Listeners will know you can articulate just what's going on in the life of these Joe Guinea girls and uh, to hear good stories that they are getting freed from this temple prostitution. Let me connect listeners with you personally. 
Here's the website address, dfn.org.au. DFN stands for Dignity Freedom Network, dfn.org.au. And if you're wildly looking for somewhere to write down a phone number, let me give you a 1-800 number too, so that you can connect with Kate. 1-800-949-774. Kate, thanks so much for your update today on 2020. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.